Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Welcome back. Our guest today is Dylan Rumley, a cognitive medical hypnotherapist who's been in practice for over 20 years. Dylan sees clients all over the world and her specialty is rapidly resolving and reducing stress around trauma and phobias. Dylan believes that we all have moments of trauma and the resolution of these memory patterns will return us to our natural state of creativity and clarity. Accelerating this and providing more executive function is Dylan's passion. Dylan is also the founder of the Neuro Wellness Center, an educational foundation that helps individuals and families reduce stress, accelerate creativity, resolve trauma, and change unhealthy patterns. She also started the Resource Hub, a website at www.eqwellnessforyouth.com that is for highly sensitive children and their parents. Welcome, Dylan. Thank you. Happy to be here. I just want to point out to our listeners, today we are broadcasting from our back deck. So if you hear a little bit of nature or a little bit of gardening or potentially even uh, trucks, that's why. But we like to keep it natural. Um, Dylan, I just want to start off by saying, uh, asking a questions that we always ask our our guests. To you personally, what is ADHD? I have worked with a number of children, young adults, adults who have received the title of ADHD. And after many, many people, I personally would say that ADHD is really a highly sensitive person a highly sensitive person who is often at very early ages not understood. And that then leads to levels of deep frustration and anxiety, even depression over the fact that they are not seen, they're not heard. And I would say that oftentimes there's been a title given to people as opposed to people being recognized for their innate skills and gifts and those gifts being nurtured as opposed to being pointed at as unacceptable and oversensitive and not in the game of what is reality. Very well said. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you, um, one of your passions is to promote or I guess reinstate uh, or optimize executive function uh, executive functions in people, right? We hear this a lot. Right. We talk about ADHD. What is an executive function? And perhaps why would someone's brain not be able to, you know, have these functions thrive? And how can we get there? A few questions. Uh, first, let's talk about the difference between paying attention to what another person, especially an adult, would like for you to do and focus. Everyone knows how to focus. Ask any child that's on Minecraft <laughs> and trying to break their focus <laughs> is often difficult. So it's not about focus. It's about paying attention to what an adult would like for you to complete in a moment. So I like to separate those two things with children, especially so that they understand there is a difference and that the need to pay attention to a linear focus of what someone else would like for you to accomplish and complete is needed to function in society and giving them tools and techniques to enable them to be able to flow through that as opposed to fighting it or fleeing from it or freezing in the middle of it. And one of the biggest tools that I give clients is one, to actually choose the feeling or emotion that they would like to experience after they have completed what the adult would like for them to complete. 
And oftentimes it's just a sense of relief or then I can get back to what I'd like to do or I would like to have that feeling of success or completion and having the adults say, yes, that's great. And I say, okay, well, let's focus on that. So the feeling for you is relief and a feeling of success after it has been completed. And I think the key is to complete is to continue taking these kids, especially to completion. What does that feel like? What does that look like for you? So because time's an illusion, as we all know, based on physics, take them into future time. There to here works better for this type of kid. Um, And once they're in that, then I say, okay, there are tools that you can use that enable you to have better ability to think in that particular pattern of linear. And then we go into the various tools that they can harness and use for themselves. It's interesting because what I'm hearing is, uh, and we've, you know, also gotten to this conclusion over the years of research is that, you know, it's really about the friction that these individuals, if we just want to pick children with ADHD or hypersensitive children, um, it's really about them, uh, encountering friction between themselves and their environment. And if the environment is like adults telling them what to study or what to do, right? It's almost like an executive function becomes really uh, the willingness or the ability to perform such tasks, even if you're not interested in it, right? As you mentioned. So my question is, would we even need to stress kids out about their executive functions if in their environment, there were less demands of them to do stuff they're not interested in? Well, you bring up a good point is that we're not dealing with the 80%. We're dealing with the 20%, right, of humanity, and um, according to research. So this 15 to 20% of humanity, they're not necessarily hypersensitive people. They're highly sensitive people. So therefore, their gifts, their skill set is different. And, you know, the research that is out there with uh, Elaine Aaron is the one who actually coined the phrase uh, highly sensitive people. And all of her research as a clinical psychologist and a research psychologist has been about the fact that this type of human needs more protection in a form. You just need more and you need more of nature. You need more downtime. It's like what I found intriguing is that sleep is such a critical piece to this type of human being. They don't just need eight hours of sleep. They need nine to 10 hours of sleep. And my daughter, um, you know, she's a highly sensitive person. And I would go, how much sleep can this kid actually have? But she would sleep nine, 10, she became a teenager. She would sleep 12 hours a day. And if she didn't receive that level of sleep, she, she was non-functioning. So it's about nurturing the style of human being as opposed to finger pointing and saying, you're not falling within the norm. So therefore you have an issue and therefore you're wrong and therefore you need to be fixed. And that's not the reality. It is, we have to develop a place for them to develop. And so you're right. It's allowing them the space to find what their gifts are going to offer our world. And those gifts are their natural abilities of communication. Uh, They're not shy kids. They're not introverted kids as much as they are kids who take in a lot of information. So therefore, they need more time to process it. They do feel more than other kids. You know, they, you know, it's why do you take that so personally? Why do you do it that way? And it's, well, that's my design so that I can actually use my skills to become the great mediators of the world. You know, I I have the skill set that I'm going to hear everything that you're not paying attention to. I'm going to see more. I'm going to feel more. And by doing that, I can become more observational, stand back, take more time, and then put the pieces together in a different format that actually will work for everyone. That's the kind of kid 
that gets deemed ADHD sometimes as opposed to just being a highly sensitive person. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and just to try out our theory, we, we have this, you know, thesis or have had this thesis for a couple of years now after we connected with, uh, you know, experts like Gabor Mate and people who are really pointing at trauma or at a uh, disruption, uh, uh, an attack on the nervous system, some form of disruption, uh, whether it was uh, during pregnancy, at, during birth or after, would you agree that, that perhaps children that are born highly sensitive, uh, that, that there was perhaps such a disruption during their pregnancy or birth that their nervous system got, you know, for lack of a better term, shocked, and now they're very, they're just more alert, right? Something's gotten turned on. Their alert system is like, you know, looking out for danger or trying to process everything so they can feel safe. How, how does that land for you? Well, I, there's a lot of research out there and Elaine Aaron also has done that research and the brains of a highly sensitive person is different, you know, and um, her research is it's been going on now for years as well as across species this research about how animals develop because apparently 15 to 20 percent of uh, animals in every species has the same feeling of you know sensitivity and hyper alertness and you're somewhat born with that because that's your design however i think if the parent does not realize they have a highly sensitive child, then they will create environments that are not conducive for that child to develop, which then lends itself to the child then going into hypervigilance and the whole nervous system going out of alignment, which would make sense, which is why with all my kids, it's a reset of the vagus nerve. It's an understanding of the fact that you are a system that the whole body feels. And this is something that I think is hugely important is that we focus so much on the, the mind and the brain, but the reality is we feel throughout our entire system. The heart has neurons, the gut has 200 million neurons. You know, the psoas muscle will, will freeze. And the, if the psoas muscle is not able to flee or fight, it's going to freeze. And that's gonna create this whole other chain reaction and my focus is on realigning the system at all times and giving tools for kids to continue to realign the system i had a young adult in yesterday and she had these photographs and she said dylan i went with a another person and i told her about this wonderful exercise where we could just put our feet together our hands behind our heads and we'd slowly bring our knees together and then our whole body would start to vibrate because we were releasing stress and it was called the butterfly. And she turned to me and she said, do you know Dylan? <laughs> and she said, we realized we had both seen you and you had both given us this tool. And we watched the sunset as we were doing these tension release exercises of Dr. Bercelli. And we felt amazing afterwards because our system was reset. We were in the grass and we were watching the sunset at the same time. Those tools given to children at very early ages allows them to self-soothe. And I'm a huge advocate of, there are a lot of amazing people in the world giving a lot of tools and creating a system for kids. So they go, hey, yeah, you're a highly sensitive person, which means you will need to have more downtime. You will need more sleep. You will need tools to reset your heart and go back into a heart coherence pattern to reset the psoas, to understand that your gut, your biome may be more sensitive than the normal person. So your dietary needs are going to be different than other people. It's just part of your design. It's okay. You're normal. What is normal anyway? There isn't a normal. I keep telling kids, well, I'm not normal. They keep telling me I'm not normal. I'm going, what is normal? No. I said, I'm your therapist. Is there anything about me that's normal? And they'll laugh and they'll say, no, you're kind of odd and you say strange things. And I'll go, exactly. I said, but am I helping you? Yes. I said, yes. And your design is to help the world in some unusual but beautiful way. And you will, as long as you're given the right tools at a very early age to keep resetting the system. Life's going to happen. 
But giving these kids the ability to reset their system with natural tools, right, which is our design, is of the greatest benefit, I believe. So you're saying the great reset is real. I'm kidding. Um, what I'm, <laughs> two things I'm hearing is. Can we put that in all caps? I had to make that joke. We um, want to have the great reset. I just right? hit escape and yeah. reset. There we go. <laughs> Shut it all down. And then we're all going to reset. We're all going to be just fine. Rainbow and butterfly. Yep. Um, well, two things I'm hearing is one is how important the environment is or the preparation, the management, the uh, setup of an, the environment for a child like that in a family, right, in a home. And then secondly, the, the uniqueness of, of a child so, such that they're not quote unquote, abnormal or are the problem, but they're just unique. So perhaps let's talk about environment first. So you said a lot about the environment and we agree. Uh, I believe environment is, if not the most, has the most impact on a child's life. And that goes from anything from, you know, pregnancy all the way to the home environment, to the diet, to the school, to the, and so forth. What do you see as uh, being the most, the hardest thing for parents, the biggest struggle for them to create an environment that their children can thrive in or uniquely unfold versus stress and them being molded into something they're not. What do you see as the biggest challenge for parents? And then what can parents do to uh, create that environment for their perhaps highly sensitive children? Well, if there there is a challenge, it's recognizing that their child may be much more similar to them than they have remembered that they too were probably highly sensitive people at a very early age and had to become very adaptive. I especially look at men and, and boys, you know, being sensitive in an American environment, certainly as a boy is a, you know, boys, it's still sadly, boys don't cry. Boys don't do this. Boys don't do that. And so I, I think a challenge to have a sensitive boy is a huge challenge for parents but once you know it and love is love you know you're a parent you love your child you will do everything possible to ensure your child is thriving and um, as opposed to surviving so once you recognize the type of human being that you have been blessed with um you know, it's, they're not cookie cutters of us, but they may be similar to us and then recognizing the differences and, and the challenge is not expecting your child to fall within the norms of what you believe they need to be and act. And then gaining all that knowledge, then setting up the environment is the easy piece, I believe, once you know, once you understand what type of human being you have been blessed with on this planet. Yeah, no, that's great. It's interesting. Um, Tatiana and I often talk about how at the beginning, when Kai was born, Kai had, you know, he, he didn't like buttons, anything with buttons, he would shy away from, he didn't like his food touching, you know, you could say some of those qualities are often referred to as autistic uh, qualities, right? Mm -hmm. And again, having read up about uh, the hypersensitive children as well, Highly, became, uh, sorry, highly uh, sensitive children. It became, but they do become hyper if they're not recognized. Exactly, exactly. And but what's interesting is we we thought that our younger uh, son Etienne was the more sensitive one because he's a very sensible, very courteous uh, person who you know always includes everyone and is very just a very inclusive, sensitive guy. And we thought that he was more sensitive than Kai, but now what we're realizing is Kai was actually the one that's more sensitive towards noises, towards even vibrations, light. energy, things, mm -hmm. light, food, mm -hmm. buttons, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we never, we hadn't looked at it that way before. And I think a lot of parents also perhaps uh, think or feel that children that are um, highly sensitive or, or so-called have ADHD, might be more selfish and might not be sensitive enough to include the world around them. But I think it's the opposite. They're actually Correct. overwhelmed by everything coming at them, right? 
and they're overstimulated. I think I, the, the biggest key is that, you know, kids act out when they are overstimulated and they do not understand what's happening. They don't understand what all the sensory data that's coming in and they can't process it fast enough. The body starts to go into high alert. So the adrenals kick in and then fear kicks in and then they're not allowed to move in school. They have to sit there, but they're frightened. And so they start to become fidgety and agitated and, you know, teaching them to say, oh, hey, I'm a teacher. Wow, I'm noticing a kid who's having difficulty sitting there. Let me assist this child by giving them noise counseling headsets. Let me assist them by there. My daughter had this one classroom. This teacher was brilliant. He had those eggs that they even have at Google. He had those eggs in his classroom. And at any point in time, a child could go sit in the egg. Right. And would put on noise counseling headsets and could just be in there for as much time as they needed to calm down. And they could bring with them, you know, books or they could do different things or just sit there. And the other important, just easy, easy, effortless tool is to have a child like that just close their eyes. Noise counseling headsets, close their eyes for five minutes and allow their system to just absorb, you know, because so let's say a normal kid is taking in six pieces of data. A highly sensitive child is taking in 20. And you can see how over time they would become overwrought. And then as they become overwrought and they've had too much stimulation, the system has gone haywire and they don't know how to reset their system. But if they did, and if the teachers understood, they wouldn't be deemed, you know, you're a hyperactive kid who's not falling in alignment and you're being disruptive. Well, they're being disruptive because they're saying, please pay attention to me. I'm overwhelmed. And also, could it be right that obviously when they say I'm bored, I'm bored, it's boring. It's because there's so much information coming at them while the teacher is still talking about the same thing and trying to stuff down information down their throats while a highly sensitive person would sit there and just get all this input, right? And could yes, it be because it's not just what the teacher's saying, it's what all the kids around them are doing. Everything is coming in. And what would you say those kids say school is boring because it actually is boring most of the time? Um, what I say, I, I don't, I, I've known so many phenomenal um, teachers and situations. I, I think that it goes down to the individual and the teacher and the school environment. I mean, Callie was in Waldorf. Um, there are a number of systems. There's some new school system here in Palo Alto. I think that honestly, there are many teachers and faculty who are attempting to understand the 15 to 20% and assist them and changing curriculums, changing the environment to allow for this style of child to be able to be present. I know an incredible principal, he's actually on my website, and he created the first children's garden where elementary school kids would just go garden for a while, just finding that rooting and that grounding, you know, and, and he would individually meet every single child with a psychologist to figure out the classroom that would best benefit and the teacher that would best benefit the child. It's about our school system finding and being more present to enable us to harness the gifts and the tools to enable these children to thrive and there are phenomenal people out there so i boredom you're only bored if you choose to be bored boredom to me is overstimulation boredom to me is i don't know where to place that information so i'm going to deem it boring right as opposed to hope that's not particularly interesting to me, but I would be more interested in this, but I understand that the group is taking in this information. And yes, do I think there needs to be a radical shift in our school system? Certainly. And how we teach and train our children, certainly. Uh, but we're getting there slowly. And there are a lot of people involved in that system. But boredom is oftentimes overstimulation to me. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, um, 
I kind of got present to a concern that I have, and I've said this before as like almost like a little theory, is that, you know, it seems like our world is more interested in streamlining things and, and having everybody adhere to a certain, you know, like you said, like there's no normal, but we have this norm of the school is working this way and everybody should sit still and learn. And the, I know there's a lot of uh, new schools and new change, but, uh, but the, the public education system, I, I feel, uh, is still more interested in, um, sort of copy paste and, and creating these successful students, right. That then move on to the, through the Ivy league track. So, um, well, we'd have to redefine success, right? Exactly. And my feeling of success, and I say this to parents is if your child is not happy and thriving and functioning as a human being, then there is not a success. I don't care about the gray point. I care about whether they are happy humans, creating in the manner in which benefits not only them, but the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of a lot of support groups online on ADHD. And it's it's amazing to me that even like 80% of the parents whose kids are medicated are still stressed out, angry, frustrated, are constantly like calling out online for help. I'm so, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. And these are the ones that are medicated, not the ones that are unmedicated. So it's kind of like if they're not thriving, right, if, if their environment isn't a, a soothing environment, then even medication isn't going to make a difference. It's just going to get them better grades. But is the family thriving? Is everyone mentally healthy? And usually, well, the, well is the medication a band-aid or is the medication getting to the root of what is truly right. the issue? I think it's a Band-Aid. I mean, that's my opinion. I think it's a Band-Aid. And if it's needed for a while, then so be it. There's no judgment, but it is a Band-Aid. But I think it's all well, it's supposed to be a bridge, right? Some yeah. people need bridges. And I'm all for medication when it's a bridge. I'm not for medication when it's supposed to be the end all be all. That That's not the purpose. We always have to get to the root. And getting to the root takes time. And, you know, I believe that it also has to come from the individual and the individual's subconscious has all the sensory data that they've ever experienced as well as what we also know is that you also bring in the emotional information of your ancestors that can also get triggered epigenetically triggered and we have to really look at that research it's like we have within ourselves the ability but we must be with people who mirror those skills back to us to awaken and that's the point of a duality world is that we're to mirror each other to bring us all back to wholeness and the beauty of a highly sensitive person is that their mirroring abilities are phenomenal which is why they are great mediators and they're also great leaders um, there's a a term that uh, this Elaine Aaron has for a certain style of highly sensitive person. And, and it, it's actually on a YouTube thing that I'll, I'll send to you for your uh, podcast listeners. And I loved it because there was a certain style. It's called the psychomotor, highly sensitive person. And this is the type of person who takes in so much information, but they need to release the information like a volcano. So they're the ones who don't sit still. They're the ones who climb mountains. They're the ones who jump out of helicopters and ski and do whatever they do, but they're highly sensitive people. And so I was, uh, I was watching that and I started laughing and I said, this reminds me of uh, Doug Bowser, who is president of Nintendo. And I sent it to him and I said, do you think you're actually this person? And there was just a one line back to me, nailed it. <laughs> And he said, I never considered myself a highly sensitive person, but it's true. I love children. I love what I do in the world. I want gaming to be more about family and healthy gaming. And he said, so, yes, I guess I am a sensitive person. And thank you for bringing that to my attention. That's so, great. Yeah, I love yeah, that. But, but a leader in the world, right? Right. And people, most people don't think of highly sensitive people as being leaders, but they are. 
And that brings me to a, a point where, you know, we, we've noticed that there's a potential of a lot of kids being misdiagnosed, one, the highly sensitive children, but there's also the, the PTSD, you know, the, the intense trauma in a child's life. And so it begs the question, how many other, uh, you know, ways of being or characteristics or symptoms do we uh, just sort of throw into this, this basket of the ADHD diagnosis? Are there any other, uh, others that you can think of that often get labeled as ADHD? Uh, you know, other than the, the highly sensitive children? Well, I, I think like the psychomotor child, right? I mean, he was highly sensitive, but um, yeah, he probably would have been said he has a short attention span because he likes to do many things at one time. They're, they're multitaskers, but in an unusual way. And so I, I like to say that someone deemed as ADHD is someone who has many points of reference they're like mini tributaries but eventually it's going to get to the same river and certainly to the same ocean we just have to give them more time and again it goes back to will we give these children more time to process more downtime more okay i see you're overwhelmed i'm going to remove you because what's really going on and they may not have the vocabulary to explain because it's happening throughout the entire system. So what I do with kids is I first start with, tell me how you like to feel more of, then we're going to use the tool of cross patterning to get the right and left hemisphere to actually be functioning, which means we've got to use tools to cross the midline. Then we're going to absolutely go into the subconscious. And I actually have a, a guided imagery that I will send to you for your, um, for your, you know, podcasting, listening people that I think may be a benefit. We have to go into the altered states. That's where all the information is. And to do that, we go into guided imagery. You know, thankfully that's more understood these days than it used to be, but the information is there, but we also have to guide it. So let's say that you like a kid would like to feel happier. Fine. Well, let's go into your subconscious and allow your subconscious to edit and change your memories to allow you to be happier. You can't change it, what happened to you, it happened, but you can resolve the feelings attached to it. To be able to do that, you have to go into the subconscious. And it's effort that feels effortless when they do it. And that's why I love the medical hypnosis piece of my practice, it's just an easier format. To, because they're dreamy kids anyway. They want to go into the dream. But there's a reason why. They're going into the dream so they can fix the dreams, right? And this is where their creativity is. Um, then we have to allow them to go into a heart coherence pattern, which is the heart math work, which uh, is brilliant. And I highly recommend it. It is the best biofeedback out there, in my opinion, because it's, it's again, effortless. You get a sensor, you attach it to your phone, and then you can see what is creating a heart coherence for yourself. Then, um, and there's lots of information about what that actually is. Uh, then the psoas muscle. You can do yoga. You can have massage. You can do Dr. Bracelli's work. All of that takes effort, but it's also effortless. And if people will give that to their children at early ages and to themselves, because if you have a child that has been deemed ADHD, odds are your system needs to be reset too, because they're not easy children. I raised this child. She's 21 and I was still on the phone with her today. It is a lifelong parenting process because they are those kids. You have to sign up for the game. You know, it's the game, but love is love and you do it and you're happy to do it because you love your kids. So yes, I, before this call, he was like, I have to get off the call because I have to get on this call, but I'll call you after. Yes, I know COVID is exploding in the world, but but we have answers, right? So it's, it's like you're just constantly soothing and calming and helping and they, they'll come to that final milligram. So, but the psoas is essential to that. Then they often have very sensitive biomes and guts and their diet is critical and you got to get that right. You know, it's right because they don't crave sugar and they're calmer. Then hormones, I mean, going, you know, once kids go into puberty, Hormones are obstacles regardless, but especially for this style of human, you got to stay on top of that 
male and female, and give them understanding of how that balances. And there are great doctors out there to be able to help that situation. That's amazing. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, mentioning all these things because I think for someone listening who is interested to what I call flirt with the alternative side and not just take the mainstream sort of narrative as as the solution, but also uh, you know is interested in in digging in and doing the the real work. Um, it, it, they are fairly effortless, but it does take time and commitment. And perhaps I think one of the biggest obstacles is that people don't believe that it's going to work. Like, do, how do you deal with that when somebody says, yeah, this all sounds great, but hypnotherapy and then what? I'm not sure. How, is that going to work? What do I need to do? Right. Because medication has a quote unquote proven track record. They take it and suddenly they're a different child and they got better grades. That's like proven. Different child for a while. But what kind of adult yeah. are we receiving? Exactly. I, I definitely agree. Um, um, but what do you say to parents who are perhaps a bit more skeptical towards alternative approaches? I mean, I'll call it alternative because it is in the public's view, right? To, to you and I, perhaps, or Tatiana and I, it's not necessarily alternative. It's just trying something that, that actually works. Well, I think parents are amenable to what works. And I personally have a track record. And, you know, what I say to people when they call and they say, well, I don't know, you're a little different and I hear unusual things about you. And I'll say, yes, I am unusual. Yes, I take a different approach. Um, yes, it's all very science related if you want to dig into the science and happy to give you that information. And then I simply say, you may want to look at my Yelp reviews. I said, and if after reading those, you feel compelled to see me, then I look forward to seeing you and your child and we will take it from there. And if after one session, you don't see a difference in your child, I'll give you your money back. And people are pretty surprised by that. And, but I mean it, and that's exactly what I do. And thus far, no one's asked for their money back. So I think <laughs> have a pretty good track record. <laughs> it's a good track record. No, I appreciate that. And I think it's a, it's a word to mouth, right? Or Yelp, um, word to Yelp or Yelp to word kind of thing. Yes, and I, think I, would, I, I would say probably 90%, if not more, are word of mouth. I saw Dylan, I had this result. Why don't you see her? That's great. Now, in, in, in the world of um, uh, executive function or uh, let's say the ADHD um, challenge, right? The kids have in, in this world. What do you think? So there's the education, right? Changing our education system. Like um, what, what else do you think needs a major overhaul so that these, these kids can feel include, included or feel like they can function in this world? Uh, what other systems in our, in our world do you feel could use an overhaul or what could be done? Well, I think systems change with the individual. And I would say that it begins with the parents educating their children that they have this unusual sensitivity. And yes, they will be 15 to 20%, but they are still normal and they are normal and they have these gifts to give to the world. And that they as parents will nurture these gifts and give them the environment and the tools they need to thrive and move through systems. And there is a level of adaptability that must take place with these children. And that's the point of giving them tools is that you will be in situations and your system may become overwrought, but once it does, know that you will be able to reset your system by doing these particular tools or techniques. And once these kids, especially is my experience, once they have the tools, they feel like they are prepared for whatever is going to happen to them. And then they can adapt better. So I say systems change with individuals and the parent is the beginning point of change and as parents educate themselves to understand and then give that knowledge to their children 
there is an expansion like a pebble in a pond. And that's the beginning. And then systems naturally change. And is this uh, this resetting the system? Is this something that uh, would have to be done again and again, once a week, once a month, or is it a one time? Or how um, how do you see this at its most beneficial? Well, it, it it depends on the tool. Every day I cross pattern. Every day I choose the emotions that I will experience for the day. So, for instance, because we were having this podcast, I really focused on. I desire to feel I am one as I'm one with all. I desire to feel that joy of sharing knowledge and experiential wisdom with others. And I focused on that. And then I cross-patterned, which is an easy tool to use. And there I can send you, it's on my website, but there are many ways to cross the midline. I just do a certain method. But I always cross pattern every day. It's like turning on a light switch to your to your brain. It's important. And so many people, you know, coffee's not going to do it. You, you got to actually cross the midline. You got to actually do this very simple technique. And kids tell me that that is the main technique that they use every day to calm their brain, to allow them to not be all over the place, but to allow them to come to a a better focal point for the day. Then every day I reset my vagus nerve. Resetting your vagus nerve is as simple as splashing cold water on your face, right? And then there are certain eye modes that you can use to reset the vagus nerve. I haven't met a kid yet that when I asked if they understood the vagus nerve that they said, yeah, exactly. I know exactly what I, what is that? I don't know. What's a vagus nerve. And I draw out the whole system for them and they, they all look at me and they ask, why didn't they explain this to me? I would have been doing this my entire life. I didn't know I was a whole feeling system being of energy. And I I think that's a, a critical piece. Wow. So it sounds like, you know, a lot of the things you're mentioning should be as common as taking your vitamins or working out every day for a human being, but yet it's not something that we promote uh, out there uh, in life. It's not part of the human operating uh, guidebook, right? Or the Bible on how to, how to thrive. <laughs> Let's create a human operating guidebook for children. What a great idea. Right. We should do that's, that. That's a, let's do it. It'd be so simple too. I, I love um, it because people yeah. always say like, well, there's no, you know, when, when they get a baby, it's like, there's no manual for how to raise a human being. It's like, well, yeah, they're out there. They're just not combined into one, like, here's the operating guidebook, right? Yeah, so, but it that, would be, you know, guidebook for parents, you know, for sure. Especially needed. for highly sensitive uh, people or people with, uh, I don't know, I feel like there's so many, we've talked about this before, right? So many sensitive souls and, 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 and what are they called? Crystal children or, um, uh, uh, they used to be called uh, indigo children, right? What, right. What, what do you say something about that? Because we've talked about that before. Um, well, I think these children always existed. And then someone decided to give them a title. And I, I think that all of a sudden we became more aware of this type of child because they had these beautiful t- titles and then they allowed themselves to go, Oh yeah, I was, I'm an indigo kid. I'm a, this kid, I'm a, that kid. And so we just give them titles that are better suited and give them the ability to say, yeah, I'm unusual, but I am also essential to this planet. I play an important role in healing this planet. And I think we're all in alignment with the planet needs healing. You know, we as a world consciousness need healing. And I am putting my money on these kids and this style of human being to find the answers because they're the ones who take in the most information and have enough of the heart-centered ability to be able to create a new pattern in life. And so I say, yes, let's find them and as parents protect them, promote them and give them the tools they need because yeah, the world's a tough place. And at the same time, 
you have the opportunity to change it to a better way and a better life. And we are vanguard to that momentum and that shift in reality. And so I applaud both of you for having the courage and the bravery to step out and say, no, I have these kids and this is how we're changing. And this is how I can assist you to change and become more aware and have greater understanding. Yeah, it, that's beautiful. And certainly uh, Tatiana and I have spent hours and hours talking about, you know, in, in our case, ADHD children are essential for the future because they think outside the box, right? They, um, they are more impulsive, meaning they can change uh, at a moment's notice. They can go into a different direction, move to a different city, start a different job. They're more flexible. They're not as predictable. And also as we're going into this age of AI, um, it's harder for a machine to replicate an unpredictable person than it is to replicate the patterns of a predictable person. So we're totally aligned on that. And I feel like, uh, you know, it, it, that many children being born or labeled in this world as being whatever ADHD disordered, sensitive, you name it, to me is almost like we're ignoring the fact that, wait, if there's that many children with quote unquote issues in this world, shouldn't we look at our environment as in like the entire world and listen to not what they're saying obviously they're little in most cases early on but what are what are they challenging us to look at and i feel like we're not looking at these things as closely as uh, possible yeah and i think it also highlights and heightens the importance and the role of us as parents to a whole Correct. other level you know we take it for granted so much of like yes i'm a parent of a child but then to be able to realize that to raise a child in such a level it's like it has to raise Together. our own consciousness. Exactly. Expand our own skills and knowledge base and awareness. And I like to call uh, ADHD kids, I call them the great tesseracts, right? They're 4D kids. They're, they think outside the box, but why do they? they? They think outside the box because they're hypercubes, right? They are the ultimate, I'm not going to fit into this antiquated system that does not really serve humanity. And you have to applaud that in them. And what I better do. time, you know, what better time to introduce all of them than right now? I think we've just entered a new chapter in humanity is at least in the US, I feel like we're, we're now we can't unsee or unhear what we heard and what we've seen recently. And I'm excited about the future. I think if we embrace those kids instead of sedate them with with medication, instead of trying to fit them into the, you know, the cube or the, the odd shape into a square. Them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be fine if we start listening to them. But I, I'm an important point I want to uh, just reflect on the Tatiana brought up, which is this idea of parents actually taking responsibility for their child and, you know, in essence saying, hey, I have a child who's highly sensitive or who seems to have friction in, uh, between him or her in the world. Uh, let me look at everything in our lives. How can we reduce that friction? How can we create uh, this comfort and this nurturing and them feeling safe, right? That, but that's a lot of work. I mean, that's not overnight. That's not take a pill. Um, it's a lot of work. And I think a lot as, as parents, we're, we have a lot to do and especially a lot of single parents, right? Two jobs. Uh, it's not easy. Um, I think is, is that why we, I feel like that's why we haven't seen a massive shift yet because we're all still struggling to, pay the bills and put, keep food on our table. You know, I don't know. That's my, well, but there, there are, are simple ways to create environments that allow them to feel safe. And again, it's allowing them to feel that they are a gift as opposed to a problem. And the gift is precious and the gift demands presence. Yeah. And so they, all of that, is important and that begins with the parent and a parent has a right to say i have something else i need to do right now i cannot sit here anymore i have to go do this because that pays the bills 
However, you have tools. I've set up an environment where you can self-soothe. And here are two or three mentors that you can call right now. But I personally have to go in this direction because I happen to be paying for all of it. Right? These are very logical kids. You know, it's not that they like it, but they do accept the reality. And if you have set up their environment so that they are taken care of and you give them the tools and you give them the resources and you say, you have to use your tools now, you have them and you have these resources and I will return to you so you feel safe in four hours time after I complete this necessary task that I must complete. No, I love you. However, I too have something I must complete in the world. And this is this is also the balance point where the parent remains a parent, right? And sometimes parents wind up being supplicants of their children. And that's not supposed to happen either. Parents have to also create healthy boundaries so that their child knows where to turn what to use, how to self-soothe. And that too is the responsibility of parenting, but not to just be at the beck and call of their child. That's not the answer either, because they must learn to adapt to the reality of what is life. Yeah, it's, you know, that's a very well said. I, I, I think that's, again, taking responsibility for something and saying, hey, I'm going to set up these systems or I'm going to have uh, this solution for them when I'm not available, um, then they learn how to do it themselves. I think that's a big, and that's been our challenge too, is like, right. What do we set up? Yeah. And it's been such a, it's a gift. I mean, what we are providing for parents, Dylan, um, with all these tools for their, for kids. I know that for us early on as, you know, our oldest son was our first child, obviously I was in such a state of, and, you know, I, I was just so focused on my business and my work. And and I thought that's how that's how it is. We needed to work. <laughs> I needed to be a working mom for ARB reasons. And and that's what was passed down to me. That's how motherhood looked like. And um, and it took for me to 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 break that part of my own beliefs uh, for me to realize, you know, the lack of presence I, I was really creating for my son, but it really required like a whole re restructuring for me to actually see that. So it's powerful that you are providing these tools to parents, whether they're able to see that or um, or ready to make those life changes so that they can be provide that safety for their kids. Well, I I, again, I, I say that the two of you are vanguard. So you have demonstrated, no, it can be done. And it can be done successfully and let us show you how to create this lifestyle for yourselves and for your children. Because the fact is both of you are the happiest I've ever seen you mm. because you. You, you are fulfilled and you're fulfilled being parents. You are fulfilled in slowing down. You are fulfilled with, okay, it may not be that dollar amount, but I'm a happier person. And maybe, just maybe, my child doesn't need the giant house. And my child doesn't need all X, Y, and Z. And maybe what my child truly needs is a smaller house with parents who are present who appreciate them. Yep. And that's what the two of you have demonstrated. And I applaud you both because I've watched the journey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. It was definitely a, a big part of it. And we've done lots of research on it is that, you know, often when when the certainty is missing in a household and it's easy for us men to create certainty when we're in the masculine. But that takes learning, transforming. It took me a long time, still a, still a toddler at it, but I'm, I'm getting the gist of it now. And when I bring certainty to the family, there's just the nervous systems in the household are calmer and there's more love and there's more, I don't know how to explain it, nurtured energy in the house. And when I'm uncertain, when I'm not, you know, on my game, Tatiana feels it, then she's 
kind of maybe concerned or not at peace. And then the kids, are, you know, it's like an energy vibrational field that, that almost can be seen or felt. So definitely um, felt. <laughs> yeah. And it takes work. It's not a, you know, it's not an overnight thing. It's not a pill. It's not a quick fix. Um, so I, I acknowledge you in turn for, um, you know, making the difference that you're making and teaching parents and children how to self-regulate and uh, apply those tools. Cause ultimately no one else is going to come to our rescue. It's us, you know, we have to step up. I agree with that. It, it's the individual. It's the parent. It's the parent recognizing the child and then the child feeling safe and secure in the knowledge that the parent has recognized them for who they are, not what the parent wanted them to be but who they are. It's critical. Beautiful. Now, um, talk to us about EQ wellness. Uh, there's this huge movement I've seen and I'm behind it, right? Where it's EQ over IQ. Like we're so focused on stuffing information into our kids' brains that we forget that they can probably Google or YouTube most of it. But mm -hmm. what about EQ? What is EQ and how, how, how do you maintain a healthy EQ or uh, what's the work you're doing there? That sounds fascinating. Well, I, I think it's just a, a segue into the other work. Uh, I just wanted parents to have a greater resource. I'm a huge fan of open sourcing. So EQ, of course, as many people know, is just emotional intelligence. And when I was in my 20s, I was considering having a child. And my grandfather and I went for a nice long walk. He's a very wise man. And he said, let me tell you about children. He said, children are responsibility and obligation with moments of pure joy that you could not receive otherwise. That's it. And therefore, you have to be up to the responsibility and the obligation of having a child. And if you are going to have a child, then know that your first responsibility is to protect them. Your second responsibility is to socialize them. And then your third responsibility is to educate them. And it must be done in that order for them to be healthy children. If you attempt to educate before they feel protected and safe, then they will not feel protected and safe, nor will they learn the socializing skills that are necessary. And I really took that to heart with my daughter. And I wasn't so focused on, oh my God, she can read at the age of three. <laughs> that wasn't my primary. Right. It was, does she feel safe? Does she feel protected? Does she feel calm? That's primary, that's protecting. Then it's, how is she interacting with children? You know, I intentionally put her into the Waldorf program because they were all about socializing kids you know and she and they had children across the board different styles of children different temperaments and that's what they're known for and to this day she'll say that walking in putting on a little apron at the age of three being given little wooden tools to chop up little things and just the orderly process of working in a group context in play and also in creation and all the soft colors and being in nature constantly, that was her socializing. And I can only imagine what type of human being she would have become if we hadn't done that first. And then, of course, there was the divorce. There was the child custody issues. There were so many obstacles that would throw off her system, throw off her system. And so... The main reason I am in the field I am in is because I had to figure out how to resolve my child to continue to be that human being that feels safe, protected, and secure when the whole world was blowing up, not realizing at the time that she was this highly sensitive child on top of everything else, not just a child in the norm who would have been affected deeply, but this other child too. So the whole purpose of this is to return tools that I have gleaned 
and to return knowledge and to also connect in incredible people with their knowledge who have been exploring this too, not only with their own children, but with their practices and their work with humanity. So that's the purpose of EQ Wellness. That's beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. No, that's really great that, you know, again, I, I feel like there's so much that we don't know about human being, the nervous system, the the reset, the the EQ, everything you're talking about. And I think it's important for us, it's become really important to to uh, acknowledge that it's not one thing, right? It's not the omega-3 that he's taking. It's not the nature walks that make a difference. It's not the family meeting, you know, it's everything. It's everything combined. And, and then calibrating it to that individual. Yeah. So you, you, and then they change and then that's no longer working. So you got to go in another direction. And so you, you definitely have to work at being on game, as they say, <laughs> constantly. But is that true for ourselves too? Yes. You know, it's like my, my latest thing is intermittent fasting. Oh, wow. That's working. <laughs> Been around a while, but hey, right. I'm finally doing it and it's working. If it's working for you, right, then you work it. And if not, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So shall we go through um, the different tools just to give a quick overview for parents so they can explore? Would that be a benefit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So I would say with these kids, number one, make sure they get enough sleep, knowing they need more sleep than other kids. Right. And that let's just start, we'll start with the system number one, the brain. So we want these kids to continually talk about their emotions and feelings. How would you like to feel today? Not how are you feeling? How would you like to feel today? Conversation in the morning, right? Okay, great. So let's turn your brain on. Let's do some cross patterning. Jumping jacks, great cross patterning technique, right? So do that for you know about 15 minutes. It's fine. Five minutes, three minutes, whatever. Get the system up and moving. Then let's reset your vagus nerve. And there, we're going to splash some cold water on our face. But if that's too intense for your child, there are so many other ways to reset the vagus nerve. You want to keep reminding them that they have control over the system and they can put their system back into a calmer state. That's all about the vagus nerve. Then you give them the tool of heart math with a sensor. That's a self-soothing tool right? So they can use that biofeedback to calm themselves, to know what it is. What puts you into a heart coherence pattern? Is it thinking about your dog? Is it thinking about your cat? Is it thinking about being in nature? What is it? It gives them the knowledge to know what does place them into balance. Then you simply put them in a yoga class. You show them the exercises of Dr. Percelli. He open sources his tools. He open sources the exercises. I mean, they're out there. And then I would say that all kids need to have a fabulous naturopathic doctor of some sort to keep resetting, you know, blood work or how, what's going on here? Is this personality or is this physiological that's affecting the personality? Because there's more serotonin in the gut than the brain, more happiness there. So that system has to be regulated constantly and diets really looked at based on the individual. And then as they get older, certainly looking at those hormones and and questioning, is this person acting this way because their testosterone is out of alignment? Their estrogen is out of alignment? How do we rebalance that as quickly as possible? And then I would say just being in nature. I take every single one of my clients for long hikes, especially right now get them away from their screens. We go, we walk, we look up and out. Looking up and out resets the brain. It just does. Look out into the distance. We spend too much time on a screen. And, you know, making sure that they're changing eye modes all the times. You know, that that's also a good reset system. So those are some basic tools and techniques that people can explore, parents can explore. And there's plenty of information out there. And I will give you the guided imagery uh, that I created, the theater. And the theater, their kids can listen to at night. And that starts to reset any trauma, any anything that's happened to them, memories that no longer serve them. But these kids ruminate. They spin a memory. 
It's like, you know, I had a kid in yesterday that could tell me what happened to them at three, that they're still offended, that their beautiful purple butterfly balloon was popped. You know, it's, it's still there. It hasn't resolved. We had to go back and then I'm going to buy her 25 butterfly balloons the next time she shows up. It's like you find ways to just heal the memory. It's the memory, right? Our job is to figure out how to heal it for them so they can move on, go into another flow state. It sounds to me like, um, you know, if we were to be educated as parents or as human beings uh, about on how to um, recognize trauma, how to resolve it or heal it or, you know, prepare our children that trauma is human and when it shows up, this is how we deal with it. And this is how we transform it. Uh, I think we could have a better world. Yes. And, and recognizing that an event that would not have created a trauma moment for someone is, is absolutely creating it for someone else. Yep. Yep. You know, and, and not throwing it all together and say, well, I don't know why that affected you. That's ridiculous. Well, it did. <laughs> right. May not make any sense, but it still affected me. So can we do something about it? Because I'm still hurting. I'm, I'm still here hurting. And no matter how many times you tell me it should not be hurting, it's still hurting. I mean, that, to me, that's so preposterous. It's, that's the reality. That's the way they feel. That's just focus on how they feel, not the logic of right. how they're feeling. I think the, the normal, the term normal or the norm is hurting us there because we, we look at other kids and go, well, he's not doing it. She's not doing it, but you're doing it. And so you're in the mi- minority. So you must be the abnormal one, right? Instead of like you said, oh, well, this ch- child is dealing with overload right now or is too tired or needs to go run around. Like that's just what they need. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then taking it further and saying, you're essential. And yes, there are that many humans like you, but you're you and you're special. And so let's figure out how to ensure that you grow and thrive with your special skills, because you are going to do something phenomenal in the world. We just don't know what it is yet. Mm. Well, I. I think this is a great point, perhaps, to end this episode, uh, to grow and thrive. I love that. I love that. And perhaps, you know, we'll do a follow-up sometime. But we'd love to, uh, yeah, whatever you want to send us, I will post it in the show notes so our listeners can uh, visit those links and certainly also uh, uh, links to your to your work, to your websites. And, uh, well, thanks again for for giving us your time and attention we really appreciate complete that. Complete pleasure. Complete pleasure. And so thank much. you for having me. So, thank you, Dan. So much to digest. I, I love the fact I'm seeing nature. I'm hearing dogs. The cat was up there. The cat even was chatting with the mic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our dog just <laughs> our dog just wanted to say that he was also deeply impacted by. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is the joy of just being in oneness, right? It's like we just flow with it and it, exactly. it adds to it and it gives beautiful nuances. This is real life. You know, it's not this, safe. this is real life. Yep. And for our listeners, so we're going to leave that in the show notes. But uh, thank you, Dylan. Dylan Rumley. It's been a pleasure talking to you about what you do and uh, talking about highly sensitive children, ADHD, and how uh, a revolution is upon us. And we need our, our highly sensitive beings to, uh, to thrive and grow so they can change the world. Oh, beautifully said. Thanks for having me.